Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello, and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm here with Pastor Troy. And while we're recording this, it is Star Wars Day, and it's been kind of a party around here. And it's just we're just really excited to uh, dig in. That's right. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you, even though by the time you're listening to this, it'll be the 6th. Or later, uh, if you're listening later. But if you want all the goods to all the goods, the background goods to the podcast, you can follow us on Facebook. And right. we do a live stream on Facebook of the podcast. Yes. So while we're recording this, um, people are watching us on Facebook, and you're welcome to do that. And like our page if you've never if you've never yeah. liked our page. Most of our inf- good information, anyway, comes out via our Facebook page. I did notice, Daniel, that two people stopped liking our page. What? I don't know who they are, but we... we uh, I have to make a couple fake I, accounts to yeah. bring it back so up. I know. I, I'm like, I, I'm not sure what we That's did to offend somebody or hurt somebody's feelings, oh, but two people... Have ceased to like us. The drums. So if you, so if you would come back. So if you would like the page, you would kind of make up for uh, lost those, time. Those people who. Yeah. Yeah. So Troy, what are we talking about today? Today, uh, wow. You know, we we talked about this a little bit before we actually started recording. That it was an incredible week of reading and just some of the most amazing, <laughs> interesting stories in the Bible um, this week. Uh, not a little bit of struggle devotionally to try to find things, but we ended up judges. We 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 finished up the end of Samson's life, and so tragic. And you think, how could this get any more tragic? And then Judges takes a turn uh, into the darkest place dark. in the Bible that I can possibly think of, uh-huh. where you have a a guy named Micah who creates this. Uh, idol worship center in his home, really, and then finds a Levite and makes him a priest of his idols. And uh, for the and, Lord, <laughs> for the Lord, yes, all for the glory of God. <laughs> and, and, and there's a word that ke- there's a phrase that keeps re- getting repeated, and that's everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was like, wow, that's a statement for society, but also <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And then the, the tribe of Dan comes and takes the idols and and then sets this priest up for them or whatever. So just massively bad. So then you have another, I don't know if it's the same Levite, different Levite, whatever, but the uh, then he comes along and um, <clears throat> is his wife leaves him, become, uh, says she went into harlotry, <laughs> and so he goes to get her back and is trying to win her back, but in the process of and winning thinking, her back... And you're thinking, okay, like Hosea, okay, this is going to be yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be good. And then uh, she's raped and killed, and then uh, and then he cuts her body up into pieces and sends the pieces to all the different tribes of Israel trying to seek justice. And then they come together and nearly eradicate the entire tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin won't allow them to uh, punish this group within the tribe of Benjamin. And so almost the entire tribe of Benjamin is destroyed. And so they don't have... They don't have a way to continue. The, they need wives. There are no wives to continue on. So they set up a ritual tradition to where they have a festival and you can steal their, their, the women from the other tribes for to make them. It's just so bizarre. And you just go, what is going well, they, they on? They run out of women because they cut them up into 12 pieces. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's, you're like, what? And so if you aren't a Bible reader and you're thinking, ah, the Bible's so boring, wow, you really missed a, you yeah. missed a week of what in the world is going on here? And, and then, and then it just ends and we go into Ruth and uh, Ruth is such a, and then you're like, wow, this is, oh, thank this you. Is it's like, yeah. God's like, you need a break here. Let's give you a good story. And and Ruth is an amazing story, obviously, about a Moabitess woman who is then uh, has a kinsman redeemer who brings her into the tribe. Uh, and it's really, it really at this point, the story of David is beginning. Uh, and we're and that's and we get into First Samuel. And it, even though Ruth is a great story and great characters, and First Samuel obviously Samuel's a great character, but it really is telling the story of David. And the story of David really is the unfolding of the story of Christ. 
And so um, that's where it fits into this understanding Jesus concept. So that's just in, that's just our Old Testament reading for the week. And then you had uh, with Jesus, you had well, we had Psalm one of the best Psalms in Scripture, Psalm yeah. fifty one. David's the Psalm David wrote when he had failed uh, miserably in sinning with Bathsheba, and then Nathan the prophet confronts him, and then David laments uh, in a psalm. He's really afraid that, uh, in the same way the spirit of God was taken away from King Saul, he's afraid that that's going to happen to him. Now he's going to lose uh, his place in God's plan, but uh, but he doesn't, and God hears his prayer, and it, it really is. So anyone who's ever, well, everyone, we talked about this earlier also. So everyone has had a time when we have succumbed to temptation. Uh, this is an amazing psalm to read. If you are currently in that place where you have recently succumbed to temptation in a really bad way, uh, Psalm 51 is an excellent uh, place to go in the Word of God. Um, the um, and, and then also we continued on through Psalms through Psalm 54. Uh, also good psalms too. I don't want yeah, to take away yeah. from that. The um, and then Proverbs always good wisdom there. And Luke uh, in the Gospel of Luke we uh, we go through uh, Jesus dealing with um, the um, uh, talking about how dealing with money and 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 faithful stewardship, but also with the children, uh, how we shouldn't uh, teaching us about prayer and uh, and get to the triumphal entry uh, of him into uh, Jerusalem. So that's um, that's a very uh, very potent part of the Word of God and the authority of Jesus is challenged and Jesus obviously uh, stands up to the challenge and so forth. So there's some excellent reading in the Gospel of Luke as well. So that's that's the reading. And we're going to come back and look and see what God showed us devotionally when we come back. All right, here we are. We're going to talk about what we read devotionally and kind of like we mentioned the first the judges reading was rough mm. uh to i try to i, I always kind of try to find the old testament readings mm. and I, I really gravitate towards old testament stuff and the judges was just so hard um chapter 19 in particular was very wow yeah. Like very rough. And it's it's good for the narrative. Um, yes. Not so good for memory verses necessarily. And I, I don't think we had – I don't think either of us had anything from uh, Ruth today. But just to say Ruth is mm. a, a – Ruth Kim – Really uh, worth the read. Yes. Kim got her um, wedding vows from oh, cool. the book of Ruth. It's, and and uh, several people do. But I, yeah. I when she said that, I – I realized I had never really paid attention to Ruth yeah. before and went back and read it from a, in a different light. It is it is a powerful – so many ama- – I mean, this is the Understanding Jesus podcast. I feel remiss, but I think we I think we may have covered it last year. So go back and listen to previous podcasts. Yeah, yeah I'm sure we talked about Ruth <laughs> yeah, last year. So, yeah. um, it's one of those. Yeah, it's, it's small, so it's easy to overlook, but man – Check it out. Yeah, because um, it, it squeezes within the week, and yeah. so, uh, but it's and there's a lot of stuff to cover. But. So, um, what I what I did th- see though in Judges was just this this refrain that they keep saying, like at the end of so something horrible would happen, mm. like uh, um, a concubine being cut up into twelve pieces and being given to mm. the different tribes, right? That would happen, and it would always tag it with the words. Um, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever he wanted, or some some versions say whatever was right in their own eyes. Um, and it's during this time that Ruth is written. the The opening of Ruth is actually very much. Um, it, it just tells you this is during the time of the judges when things are so crazy. And I just wrote down um, when we don't acknowledge Christ's authority as king, right? Because this mm-hmm. is understanding Jesus. Everything points to Jesus in the Bible. Um, it, we're all getting there. Um, when we don't acknowledge Christ's authority as king, we open ourselves up to um, the fruit of our own way. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. Sometimes we're tempted to think that we're like really awesome people and um, have like this general disposition towards goodness. And um, and and actually, that's on just about every job application that you find out there. Like, what do yeah. you think is like? Do you think people are basically good? And and I always had to. I I I always paused there because I no I don't I mean I read Judges and yeah. I read the Bible and I think no people aren't good when when we don't acknowledge Christ as Lord of our lives we we're left and even as Christians right we pray a prayer we get baptized we mm. get in the Christian club we go to church um, but if we're living a life not submitting to the lordship and kingship of Christ then we open ourselves up to our own flesh and our own desires and and we'll talk about that um i'll talk about that a little bit more when i talk about my 
Psalms thing, but um, but anyway, that's just kind of that's what I got from Judges. Just the overarching theme that um, you do what's right in your own eyes. This is what that looks like. This is what a world full of that looks like. Yeah. Um, and awesome. in in a way, I'm glad that God gave us that that image, even though I mourn for the people who had to live through it. Yeah. And it is, uh, you know, it is funny or interesting anyway how judges is about how. There's you see the need they have for a king, you know, and and then uh, and yet when we get into Samuel, we realize that God was upset with them because they demanded a king. And the reminder to us, though, is that we were always intended to have a king. Yeah. It was just that God was to be the king. Yeah. And and so that's that's really what he's saying. He's not saying that it was a wrong thought that you want a king. He's just saying I'm your king. Well, it's in the yeah. it's in the Torah, like the law that he gave them yeah. when Moses was around. He said, someday when you have a king, this yeah. is what his rules will be. Yeah. Um, not so. It's like God never said you couldn't have a king ever. It right. was that they demanded their right. own timing, and, their and, own way, and wanted it to be to make them more like the other more nations. like other people, yeah. right? The nations yeah. that they were not supposed to be like, and yeah. that will always get you into trouble. Yeah, exactly. Instead of letting God to bring it forth in His time, in His way, in His place, uh, yeah. they demanded it for in their time and way and so forth and so anyway uh, any, and God gives us what we want out of the hardness of our hearts so many times uh, but uh, that doesn't mean it's right but I also uh, had something from Judges I wanted to share and it said in Judges 15 11 and 12 then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson do you not know that the Philistines rule over us what is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, we have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And this is kind of a like a messianic typology here in the Old Testament where you have Samson acting as the judge. Now, Samson has his own issues, obviously, uh, throughout. And, and, and one of the things about judges that you see is that it starts out where Othniel, who is the nephew of Caleb, and we talked about that last week, uh, comes in and delivers them. And you have these really strong judges. And then as time goes on, the judges get weaker and weaker and weaker. And by the time you get to 1 Samuel with Eli, Eli's just, he's not good. <laughs> and and Samuel's like this big bounce back of revival, but uh, and then paving the way for King David, obviously, to come onto the scene later. But, uh, but you have this degradation of the nation that just keeps going down and down, and it's reflected in the leadership. But here you have this moment that this is how far off they have gotten. You have Samson, who God has empowered to deliver Israel from the Philistines, and yet the nation of Israel is saying, no, you don't understand, the Philistines rule over us. They've accepted this. This is just like, this is how it is. And it's kind of like when Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is offering them salvation, and it's like, no, Caesar's our, Caesar's our ruler. You know, we'll, we want, we're following Caesar. Our children are following Caesar. We've, we've adjusted to life under the rule of a foreign authority, and not even seeking deliverance. Very much like the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt and people were like, you know what? Life was better under Pharaoh. Wish we could just go back there and get back to what we were doing there. And it's crazy how God so many somebody gave me an analogy of, of Jesus one time. It's like a man going to a burning building and his wife at work and he's going to rescue her, but she is there on the computer doing something illicit or immoral or whatever, and she doesn't want to leave there. And so he just picks her up and drags her out <laughs> to save her. And and that's kind of how God is with delivering his people. So often we're just reluctant to be delivered. We don't want a savior. And and so we that's you know, I, I which is crazy to us that we can't recognize our need for salvation that we've uh, C.S. Lewis get used another way of expressing it. he said it's like it's like a man uh, who owns a yacht offering children a holiday at sea uh, to going into the slums of London and the kids are playing in the mud and and the kids look at him and say, why would we want a holiday at sea when we can play in the mud? Because they can't even they can't even fantasize about what a holiday at sea would be. Uh, all they know is the mud is fun <laughs> and, right. and and where they are. And that's and that's kind of um, that's kind of what's happening here. So you have the people of Judah upset with their deliverer because they fear the people, 
more than they fear God. And sometimes when we take a stand, I have to remind myself, sometimes when I take a stand for God, uh, that our greatest opposition is going to be the children of God. It's going to be the people who are who claim to be followers of God because they are they have adjusted to slavery in sin and uh, and they don't want to be delivered. Uh, there was a joke, a joke we used to tell uh, that there was this guy uh, the tent revival going on and at the tent revival the guy uh, had asked people to come on stage and be healed or whatever and so people came up and they were being healed and then he takes the microphone he goes out in the crowd. And uh, he lays his hands on this one lady, and she's like, I can see, I can see. And he goes over to another man, he touches him, and he goes, I can walk, I can walk. And he goes over to another guy, and the guy goes, get your hands off me. I'm on workman's comp. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of, anyway, that's uh, that's what I think about sometimes in the, in the church today. <laughs> is that people are, they've, it's like, no, no, I don't I don't need Jesus. I, I think I've got it figured out the mm-hmm. way I am. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It's, I'm kind of sensing an overall theme of, um, it's interesting. The Bible is, is a few, few, few themes. Yeah. Themes. yeah. Um, <laughs> like in Psalms 51, right? So we kind of mentioned this a little bit. I don't remember if it was on recording or off recording, but, um, Psalm 51 is, is coming up after it, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, uh, addresses King David and says, you're, you know, you're you know, that the big story with Bathsheba, you're the man. And, um, David laments and, um, this, the Psalm is born out of it. And, uh, and the, the section I was really kind of honing in on is verse 14 through 17. It says, uh, David says, save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And um, I see that like I, 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 I'm, I'm feeling David's feelings here in the um, God, you don't you don't want this. He's trying to absolve himself, um, but he comes to the realization that he can't. And I think what we overlook in the David and Bathsheba story, and this is a bit of a spoiler because we haven't gotten to, to that section in Samuel yet, but um, but we we have this idea that David was just, you know, obviously he wasn't he was supposed to be off at war, and he's on his balcony and he sees this girl and he's like, okay, I want her and gets her. Um, I don't I don't think that's how it went down because she was Uriah's wife. Uriah was David's, one of David's number one guys. So they were, Uriah and his family were in his house all the time. Mm. And David knew Bathsheba and he knew where she was going to be and she knew where he was going to be. So I'm not, I'm not putting anything necessarily on her. Um, Mm. but I'm putting, I mean, the Bible puts it all in David. So I'm putting it all in David. Uh, somebody should have put something on her. Somebody, oh fine. my, ah, yeah, but I'm chink. Oh man. Um, but this was like a, this didn't just happen, quote, overnight, you know. Uh, this, I mean, it happened, you know what I mean, it happened overnight kind of. Um, but th- this, 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 was, this was a premeditated, planned, emotional affair that David had been having with Bathsheba for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, and, and now he's caught in it and he's acknowledging his sin for the first time. And he has this, I don't know what to do to mm. God in this moment, mm. um, because he's so broken. He's, he's, his whole pattern of life has been turned upside down. And, um, and it's not just a sin. It's not just a crime of passion. It's a premeditated thing. And yeah. so he's got this, um, this groaning of, God, God, what can I do? I, you don't want to sacrifice, or I would give that. And my, my heart is, is, is broken now, but it, you can almost read that he's not he acknowledges that it's not like a, it's something he should have felt before. And it's not like it's, it's feel, he feels like it's not good enough in the moment. And the, the beauty of it is it's not, it's not good enough. Like nothing that we do Mm, can absolve ourselves. We as people want to have a way to absolve our own sin somehow. It's just a knee jerk reaction that we have. So we have to do some form of penance. We have to do some form of, um, physical repentance in some way, self-flagellation, you know, like mm. something that will hurt us. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm choking on my spit. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but, but he's, he acknowledges that God, you don't want that. And I think that leaves him more broken mm. than if he would have been able to just kill a bull and yeah. call it good, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a, uh, there are, uh, when you go to Mount Sinai, the, we call it the fake Mount Sinai because it's probably not really Mount Sinai, <laughs> but the um, Moses' mountain. 
in uh, in Egypt, uh, the um, the uh, there are steps that are carved up to the top that a um, a, pre, a contrite priest, uh, someone um, or a monk, uh, had done as an act of penance, and uh, and I think that that uh, is kind of so representative of so many of us that we're that we feel like we have to labor to get. I mean, if you think of it, how the what an incredible analogy that he's literally building stairs out yeah. of, through his blood and sweat, trying to ascend uh, to God, uh, only to find out that it's not possible. And uh, and and that's and that's kind of what David. The interesting part is David is a man after God's own heart. Everything he says here, he he knows and he understands. It's that just compounds the mm. problem. I mean, here he knows that what he's doing is wrong, and yet. Uh, and that there is no recompense here. There's nothing he can do to fix this, uh, and uh, and yet he just simply has to plead upon the mercy of God, um, not and and believing that God is merciful, yeah. and um, and and he is. Uh, so it's um, it's kind of like when he, you know, again we're jumping ahead in the story, but when he prays for the, his son to live, mm. and God has already said he's going to die. And he begs the mercy of God, but once the son has died, he washes his face and it's like, and they're like, why are you not even more distraught now? He's like, because God has spoken, you know. It's like that's, and there's, and there's nothing now you can do about it. Um, and it, so he had an incredible grasp of God and understanding of God. Yet still, uh, it shows us it doesn't matter how well we know God. I think we're, I think we're, sometimes we we act shocked that people who are deep in a relationship with God and understand God would fall uh, into sin or in some type of moral temptation or something like that. But just because we know and understand God doesn't make us any less uh, fallen. Mm. And we're all very, very fallen people. Mm. We're all all completely dependent upon uh, the grace of God, the mercies yeah. of Christ. I also came from, uh, had something from Psalm 51, uh, a word that uh, that David said in the very beginning of Psalm 51, he said, um, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. And then in verse eight, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. And then, and then words that are very familiar to us. He said, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit. Uh, within me, do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit uh, from me. Uh, what a what a plea for him to know that he cannot continue to function as God's person um, without God's Holy Spirit. Uh, and and here he so he's begging for that not to happen. But the thing that really hit me in this was that uh, I took a day to go back and look at things that I, at journals, past journals I kept, because uh, I've been journaling for about 30 years. And and I, there were so many things that I wish I could just tear those pages out and burn them <laughs> and just pretend those weren't there. And I, and it, and it made me understand, you know, you, you think of God, you know, having a book and, and with, all of our, uh, if you could understand that he had a, like he had a book with all the everything we've ever done in it, there'd be things we wish he would just simply uh, get the white out and and just gloss over that. And and what an amazing thing that Jesus is the white out. I mean he and not in just and he doesn't just blot here and there. He whites it all. I mean he just he washes it all completely white through his blood. Uh, and what a, what an incredible thought process of how blood is something that stains, yet it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us, that washes us new and makes everything white uh, and clean. I always th- th- see the image of Jesus when he would heal leprosy. You know, I what you going through this coronavirus period of time where you have people fearing touching each other. I remember it, it gives me a flashback to a time when AIDS was uh, such a prominent epidemic and uh, and everybody was very, very cognizant. People became afraid of each other. Uh, there was a songwriter who wrote, uh, can we taste the salt and the tears they cry? Just because he had heard that someone was afraid that the tears of someone would give them AIDS or whatever and that our fear of each other made us less compassionate with the love of Christ. 
and and I and it made me oh, cognizant of something about Jesus. When Jesus touched something that was dirty, he he's the only being who, when he touched, the dirt didn't come from the dirty to make him dirty, but his clean uh, cleansed that which was dirty. I mean, he's. I mean, it's so backwards in our minds. If I if I touch somebody's unclean, then I become unclean. But Jesus, when he touched someone's unclean, they became clean. And so when Jesus touches us, when he when he looks at our past and everything, it's not that he looks at what we've done or sees what we've done and it corrupts him, but instead when he looks upon it, he makes it uncorrupted. Mm. And and so that's uh, what a he is just an amazing savior. And so this is who David is crying out to, and wishes he had a full, the revelation that we we have a, a fuller revelation of who Jesus is than he had. I mean he's he's hoping that God is this way, and we have revealed to us that indeed he is this way. That he does hear this prayer that David is praying, and in Jesus he manifests that. Yeah, I do blot out your transgressions. I do I do hear you. I do cleanse you. I don't need the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. Right. You know, you you can't come up with a sacrifice, but I I am the sacrifice you need. I saw a, a tweet the other day that said um three three things about Christianity. Is number 1, Adam's sin is transferred to you. Number 2, your sin is transferred to Jesus. Number 3, Jesus's righteousness is transferred to you. He said if you if you think number 1 is unfair, Look at number three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. it is. It's totally mind-blowing and undeserved. Yeah. It's such a moment of, of – because the, I think the, the gravity of his sin, because it is a – like you said, it is not – the deeper you go into the sin of David, the graver the sin is. Yeah. And and yet you see, uh, it just magnifies how merciful and gracious God is. Yeah, it's very comforting yeah. to me. Right. Right. Yes. Um. Awesome. 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 Well, I want to jump over to Luke real quick um, before we finish. And um, the, it's a it's a common. I think I think a lot of people have heard this. This just a parable of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector is what my Bible has as a heading. Um, but it's two guys go up to worship at the temple, and one of them's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector, one's a good guy, one's a bad guy. Um, and um, the good guy, the Pharisee, says, um, man, God, thank you so much that I am not like this other guy, that you've, you've, you've given me, that I've, I've been able to retain so much righteousness throughout my life. Um, thank you for that. You know, and at, at face value, you know, you don't know the ending of the story yet. And you're thinking, OK, well, th- thankfulness for God's upholding hand is a good thing. Mm. You're, you're thinking, right. And this is the Pharisees thought. I'm, I'm being thankful to God for a life well lived. And um, the, the, the bad guy, the sinner um, tax collector comes up and his prayer is totally different. Right. His mm. prayer is, um, God, I, I, I have nothing. Again, I have nothing. Forgive me. Uh, right. I have mercy on me. I have not done righteous things. I have sinned. Please just have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, man, how easy is it? And I'm sure we've heard this a thousand times and still struggle with it. At least I still struggle with it. How easy is it trying to live a righteous life, right? How If, if you're a person who a right, righteous living comes fairly naturally, you've been a Christian your whole life, you're faithful to not only attend church, but to like live according to what God says to do. Mm. And how easy is it when you've upheld that your whole life to see someone who hasn't and continues to not, Mm. um, and not feel some kind of pride, pride. (laughs) Yes. Um, and even, even, uh, pride in your humility. You know, it's like pride can't help but win in the human condition because we, even if we're trying to be humble about it, we end up being prideful about our humility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this ongoing cycle. And um, and man, that's the point where I'm like, I. the more that I think about my cycle of sin and how my my own like, even, and I've been, I've been kind of saying this to, to people lately is that I don't think we can do anything in life that's not sinful on some level, you know, nothing, something at some point, whatever we do is selfishly motivated. Uh, And, um, and man, at that point, we just have to fall on, fall on the cross and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, I, I have nothing 
to give mm-hmm. here. Um, and and that's the point. I think that's where God wants us. If I'm understanding the parable right, yeah. I think the the best place to be is just live as righteously as you can. It doesn't change that. But of but of course we we just have to acknowledge that man, we have nothing but Christ. All yeah. and that, like that song says, Hallelujah! All I have is Christ. Yeah. So pleading upon His mercy. Yeah, that's all we have. I, I love the story of a Sunday school teacher who said she was sharing the story of the. Um, of the Pharisee and the and the and the publican, yeah, and uh, and one of the little girls in the class said, "Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and exactly. it's like it's like that's uh, it, it, so we struggle with it either way. Whether yeah. you whether you think you're better than the Pharisee, whether you think you're better than the tax collector, <laughs> it's it's the same same story when we think we are better than right. others because of our our piety. The point is that Jesus was better than that's both. Right. That's right. right. That we're both that both were in need of mercy, and one recognized his need for mm-hmm. mercy, and one uh, one felt like he could attain. And that's I think that's the greatest danger we see. There's so many uh, paths of Christianity, and I, and I use the term Christianity loosely because I think Galatians would say they're not actually followers of Jesus Christ because they've got a different gospel mm. that they are following. But the the tendency is to any anything any belief system you're in that says if you can do these things, it's Pelagianism was the heresy of the older church, and and uh, and and the idea was is perfectionism, meaning I can that God has uh, done enough in me or given me uh, where I can I can attain to this perfection, and uh, it's through my efforts. So it, it's this idea of, uh, and really it was a big thing at the turn of the 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 20th century, when you go from 19th to 20th century, in the revivals of people saying, I'm going to uh, read my Bible and pray and and do all the, and fulfill these vows and, and, and do this, you know, this Christian piety. Not that that's not important to be uh, a person who walks, but they believed that by doing these things, that it was elevating them and their standing before God. And there is nothing that uh, Jesus even gave a parable of this. He's like, just sit in the lowest seat, <laughs> and I will bring you, mm-hmm. you know, bring you up, not not you bringing yourself up. And and yet that we fall into that hole all the time, that trap all over and over again in our church, in every church I've ever been a part of, and myself. Uh, it's for all believers. Every every Christian I've ever known is such a, a tendency to, like you said, you get into a situation where it's like I, I feel just a little bit closer to God than them because I know I'm doing these things and they're not doing these things. Uh, it's, sometimes it's a daily struggle, uh, but uh, but we have to always fight against and realize no, it's it's always it's just Jesus. Jesus is the only one. Uh, I I follow him faithfully and I and I. Uh, you know, I I think it reminds me. Uh, I always feel like I have a story for everything. But the uh, when I was younger, I saw I wanted a Corvette. I just wanted my own Corvette. It was the car of choice at the time. I think it's because Mark Hamill, going back to a Star Wars reference today, uh, was in a movie called Corvette Summer. I thought, well, if Mark Hamill is in a Corvette, I want to be in a Corvette. Right. right. Uh, Luke Skywalker drives a Corvette. I want to be May in a Corvette. May the Ford be with you. That made the, it's a Chevy. No. But um, <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> uh, anyway, but then I met this guy and uh, and he had a Corvette, but he was my dad's age, and I was like, if I got to be old. To have a Corvette, then I don't, you know, who wants it? And and I and it's like kind of like that. It, the thought is, is if being like Jesus doesn't give me, if me doing all these good things doesn't give me a special reward, what's the point? You know, why even try? Why even make an effort? And I think the re- reality is, is that you have to. We have to question our own heart now. It's like, do we really even know Christ? Because uh, it is. It's kind of like saying, what's the point of being good to my wife if I'm not going to get anything in return for that? Then I just, I fail to understand what love is. And I have not been filled with the love of Christ, which is the basic commandment that Jesus gives. He says, if you want to know me, if you want to be my friend, if you want to walk with me, then you have to love other people like I love you. And I love people unconditionally. And so I'm not trying to figure out what I can get back. And so there's the caveat. Being changed by God, being renewed by him, is loving him without any desire to receive anything back or to gain any type of reward or to, uh, and you know, 
for doing it for some condition or whatever. But yeah, that's a that's why it's not it's not an easy thing. It's that's a that's a tough thing to battle past. But it is, um, but it is inviting that battle that we come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, okay, last thing I've got is from Luke chapter 19, and, and it actually is something we, we kind of broached in Matthew because the Gospels have a lot of the same stories. But uh, it's in, it says when um, – it says uh, in chapter 19, it says, As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And, uh, and uh, this is one of the things that I don't think until we were going through Matthew this year, I don't think something that was never really clear to me was that these people who were gathering together and crying out were Galileans. These are people who had watched Jesus perform miracles, that the majority of Jesus' ministry takes place around Galilee. And you don't really have a big support group in Jerusalem, which is really the religious center uh, for the Jews. And and so you have this, so as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, you have these crowds of people who are also going to Jerusalem. It's a holy week, and it's a, a time of great festival when they make this pilgrimage. So they're going along with him and celebrating and that he is, they're like, and when he gets on this colt, uh, this donkey, this is what the Messiah is supposed to do. So it's like, here it is. Here's the moment. Here's what we're going to do. And the the Jews who are in Jerusalem, especially the Pharisees, recognize this. They're like, whoa, wait a second. You are making people think you are the Messiah. And they're like, you should rebuke them and tell them to stop because that's blasphemy to call you the Messiah, which identifies we don't believe you are the Messiah. Uh, and Jesus' response is, <clears throat> if they don't praise me as the Messiah, the rocks themselves will cry out. The creation itself will cry out that I am the Messiah. That's not the answer they were looking for. It is an answer that you give when you are picking a fight. And it's very different than the other confrontations. And, and every every confrontation he has at this point Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't hide in the crowds. He doesn't slip away silently or whatever. He doesn't. This is when it's like gloves come off and he just just pushes hard, provoking them. Really, it's provocative language throughout this. Of course, he goes into the temple and turns over the money changers and so forth. And it's like this is a man who's going to get himself killed. And that's exactly what he's there to do. It's he knows they're going to respond the way they're going to respond. And he doesn't uh, before it's like he would. In fact, he would heal people and say, don't tell people about this. And people are like, why would you not tell people about this? Because he didn't come to heal everybody. He came to die. And so he doesn't want word to spread to Jerusalem. He doesn't want them to know. Uh, he wants them to do exactly what they do. And uh, in order to get the result that he intends to get. Um, and, and and so, you know, it. I always used to think if I could get in a time machine and go, I remember thinking this as a kid, if we can invent a time machine, I'd go back in time with a couple of Uzis and uh, AK-47s or whatever type of M16s, pick a rifle and go back and I'd take out those Pharisees and I would, you know, try to keep, and I realized, oh, I'm, I'm Peter in that story. (laughs) I'm the guy with the sword cutting off the ear, Malchus ear, you know, and trying to keep him from being crucified. And he would look at me with the same and I would be Satan at that point. I would be trying to prevent the thing that he came to do. Um, there is no saving him from the cross. There is no rescuing Jesus and keeping him from being crucified. God himself was intent. It was he focused. That was what he came to do. That is what he did. And uh, and 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 if he didn't do it, then there's no hope for any of us. But he did do it, and there is hope uh, for all of us. So awesome. Awesome. Well, good talk, man. Good talk today. Good stuff. I think we have a question or two. Yeah. And we'll address that when we come back.
All right, this is the question and answer segment of the Understanding Jesus podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, As we mentioned a few times ad nauseum, this is a challenging week in the Old Testament. Um, So I guess kind of one of the main questions, Troy, was um, there was a guy who made an idol for the Lord in his house and... um, can, can, likewise, is, is God like cool with that? Yeah, the the question was that Judges 17 through 19, you have a guy who makes idols. He has a Levite to come in and to be his priest. Uh, and um, and then why would why would a Levite be a priest for idols? Yeah, and, and then what in the world is going on with the other story of the concubine uh, and so forth? So, and these are two events that happen at the end of of judges and 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 really and and we mentioned this earlier as we were talking about it in judges you have this decay that's coming down and samson is the beginning of that decay when you read about samson there's not much good about samson i mean it is a um (laughs) i uh i made a statement i have to read that because i'm um wrote it down and i can't remember what it said i said uh, the Philistines wanted him to turn a blind eye to their sinful ways and hope Samson was just a big pushover. And as it turns out, he was. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a blind eye, a pushover. And you wrote it down. I did. I wrote it down. Uh, so I would. <laughs> Are you a father? Uh, yeah, that's a dad joke if there ever was one. Uh, but uh, anyway, it um, it is uh, Micah builds a shrine. And has some idols that he has fashioned. Here, here's a neat, here's a neat thing that wasn't asked, but uh, something that uh, there were 1,100 pieces of silver that um, that he has um, that were taken from him that he got back. Now Delilah was given 1,100 pieces of silver in order to betray Samson. Whoa. And so the question is, is this Delilah's son? Whoa. And so don't know. Uh, <laughs> the timelines don't match. Quite a theory. <laughs> yeah, the, if, if you if you're really if, when you really pry into it, that's the best answer I got was the timelines don't match up, so that it couldn't be Delilah because we're the we're going a little bit backwards here from Samson, and that's the thing in Judges and and a lot of the Old Testament. It's really hard to follow the timeline. Yeah. We we're, think we're reading chronologically, but they do a lot of flashbacks and according to what's going on with Dan and, and different things. And this is all in post. Right. So it's like yeah. you're telling a story. We've told a few stories in, this, in the midst of this podcast that are yeah. like really weird time. Yeah, time exactly. Yeah, and so. so chronologically, it's all over the place. And that's exactly what is happening in the narrative here in Judges. But, uh, but there are two events that they wanted to record here at the end to just indicate uh, the writer of Judges is backing up what we said earlier. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. Uh, and pointing out that kind of a double thing: there's no human king, but also they rejected God as king. No longer is God the ruler over uh, Israel. And so those are those are that's the big thing. And so to illustrate that, uh, yes, all the things that you are seeing wrong with this story. They also would have seen as wrong <laughs> that uh, that was the idea that here you have this Micah creating a shrine wrong. She's not supposed to have shrines, not supposed to have idols. He has idols that he's had made out of this 1100. And so now he has a Levite. Levites aren't the priest. A Levite's not a priest. A Levite serve in the tabernacle, but only of the people who are descendants of Aaron are supposed to be priests. So that's a very specific lineage. But this guy is just a Levite. Close enough, the guy thinks. Plus, he's not even really a priest. He's he's coming in to be my priest over my idols. Then the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan is way off the reservation already. So just to show their uh, lack of understanding of God, they come and take the idols and and men make this Levite their priest. Also, what just crazy. Uh, so the whole point is, is that this is how far gone they are in their understanding of God and what God wants and following the law. It's it's just setting up that they are truly, truly lost. And, and so then the second story uh, that comes in is you have this Levite who has this concubine. And again, it starts out uh, each time. It's there. Again, there was no king in Israel and so forth. But... Um, 
uh, each story starts out with that. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And that's what it's trying to say. In those days, it was really bad. <laughs> and, uh, and, here's, and here's a story that illustrates just how bad it was. So when you're reading it, thinking, what is going – you're supposed to read it that way. It's supposed to make you go, these people are so – this is so bad, so awful, and so forth. And in this case, it was in the hill country of Ephraim. Uh, and so you have this woman from Bethlehem and Judah, and she was unfaithful to him and left him for her father's house in Bethlehem. And she was there for four months. Then her husband got up and followed her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. And and then it, it, the whole story is to illustrate that, uh, one, women weren't being faithful to their husbands. Uh, people weren't doing what God was telling them to do. Nobody was following the law. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, making up rules that were completely foreign, following pagan gods giving into the people the people that they were supposed to have conquered they've intermarried with and now they're all it's all just this hybrid I mean Samson himself uh, is marrying women who are not he's not allowed to marry and having relationships he's not supposed to have uh, so I, you know so if you're reading through and going wow that's Samson he's a pretty good guy you shouldn't be because he's not a pretty guy I mean he's 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 with he's you know, with prostitutes in one part, and then he's with these. People. And this isn't Hosea. Uh, this this is just he's no, he's massively sinning against God. And I think what makes it confusing for us is we think, well, Samson's a hero. Um, and and let I me mean, just to remind us, God used the Assyrians, evil people, to carry about His will, to carry out judgment. Uh, God used the Babylonians. Yeah. Evil people. Because Nebuchadnezzar is servant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And Before so he, he was a good guy. Yeah. Exactly. And and so and and he really never was truly a good good guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He just he just saw that the air of his ways. Uh, and so God uses a donkey to to correct Balaam. Uses Balaam, who also is not a good guy. And so God uses just that's a good reminder. Just because God uses you to do good things doesn't make you good. It just means God is good. And God gets good things done, even using bad people. Uh, in fact, Jesus points it out for us. There is none good apart from God. There is no one good but God. And so any good thing that happens, God deserves the glory for it, not the person who is doing it. That's the Think of political leaders, rural powers, uh, even pastors uh, who may have influenced your life. And I say that very knowingly. And uh, doesn't mean those are good people. It just means there's a good God who's behind those people doing good things. Yeah. And and that is all that Samson was not a good person. There was a good God who was trying to to do good things using him. And um, and then when Samson finally uh, completely <laughs> abandoned God, God took his power from him. Uh, and it wasn't just the fact that he had his haircut. It was the fact that he completely disobeyed God and God removed his power. Uh, so it's like God God judged him. And God told the people of Israel, if you do what I tell you to do, then I will not only use you to do good things, but I will bless you with my goodness. If you cease to do those things, then I'm going to use other people to judge you just like I'm using you to judge them. And, uh, and none of you are going to be blessed. Uh, and so when this thing happens with uh, Benjamin when they go in and they see this horrible crime that's created by these people from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, and they go to try to bring justice to them, and the tribe of Benjamin stands against them to defend the evil that these other tribes are coming to get. Uh, the first two tries, they lose thousands and thousands of men in the effort, wondering, are we even doing the right thing? And God keeps telling them, go up and fight against them. And then thousands of them get slaughtered. This is go up against them and thousands of them get slaughtered. And you're like, why is God doing that? It's because they all deserve judgment. Mm-hmm. Nobody's righteous here. And so God's judging the 11 tribes who are fighting against Benjamin, and he's judging Benjamin. And so eventually, you know, they, they defeat Benjamin, and that's their judgment. So uh, nobody is good in this story. That's And that's the message of the story, that it had gotten that bad. Are we supposed to, and here's a question that, that we didn't really, just hearing you talk, um, in, the, in the story, the reason why the 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 whatever the prostitute is even in the story is because or whatever the the concubine is in the story is because the the guys see these other guys in the house and want to like want to have sex with them right yeah. like mm-hmm. so um and I, my mind goes back to 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. Right? Well, and it's hmm. the same thing. And 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 he says, look, I have these girls you can have. It's like the same words. Yeah. And God passed a judgment <laughs> right there. I mean, are, yeah. you think we're supposed to remember this story? Absolutely. Like, yeah, it is a, it is a is a throwback to uh to Lot and the judgment that's uh, coming upon them. And, and and a lot of times when we see that happen throughout the Bible, because the Bible does that many times, uh, like when you're reading Revelation, you'll see things that go back to the Old Testament and just restate it almost word for word. Well, it's supposed to draw you back. The idea is to go back and say, hey, remember God and what I did back there? Same God, <laughs> same principles, same thing that's happening. Just a reminder that Lot was not where he needed to be. Mm-hmm. That Lot was Lot is symbolic of the choices that were made by the people of Israel in Judges. Uh, Abraham chose a righteous path, even though he struggled with it, he wasn't doing great. When you, when you think of, um, uh, when you think of uh, in, as we go later into the progression of Israel, when you have the northern kingdom and the decisions that they make, the northern kingdom kind of is Lot, and the southern kingdom kind of is Abraham. So you have this typology that's kind of follows along throughout uh, yeah. the Old Testament. You know, I, we were making this point with somebody the other day. They were talking about uh, what they think about the Bible and what they think this means and so forth. Because we're fallen people, we we can't, we're not allowed to read the Bible and to say, here's what I think this is. Scripture is authoritative and inspired by God. So in order to understand what Scripture says, we have to use Scripture to find that understanding. And so, and, and God, and he does that. He gives us within the text itself the ability to interpret the things that the text is saying. Um, now, there will be times when it will match up with what we know through the general revelation of creation and so forth, things that our you know, common sense will tell us by the way things are made and designed. But to really understand what it's saying, we have to use the Bible itself. And uh, because otherwise we don't have a, um, our, we're, our minds are not capable of thinking on the level that God thinks to come up with the right interpretation. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Troy. Um, maybe next week Josh will be back with us. Maybe. Theoretically. Or somebody. Or somebody will be with you We'll know. fill that chair. We'll yeah. find somebody. Either way, we will see you next week on Understanding Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.